What is worship? What does it look like? How do I worship the Lord? We are hoping to help you answer these questions and help you grow in your understanding and appreciation for Christian worship. That's why we are reading together the book Christian Worship in the People's Bible Teaching Series. Read that book with us, chapter by chapter, and then listen to the discussion here on our podcast. Pick up a book from Grace at a discounted rate, or grab one from our Northwestern Publishing House. Or even without the book, you can join in and grow with us. God serves his people with his gospel goodness, and then he gives us an opportunity to respond in thanksgiving and praise to his holy name. It's a precious privilege that we have to be able to worship our holy and loving God. We are pleased to welcome you for another discussion on Christian worship. Greetings, everyone. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of Most Certainly True Podcast. I'm Pastor Brian Hockman, one of the pastors here at Grace. I'm here with uh, two of uh, the, my colleagues here on our ministry team. Pastor Aaron Strong, how are you today? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Awesome. Glad to have you. And our music minister, Kevin Becker. Hello. How are you? Hello, pastors. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Glad to have you uh, both here for another discussion on Christian Worship. We're in chapter six um, now, uh, jumping into the liturgy and and uh, how the liturgy uh, is planned, and, and specifically here the beginning, chapter five. Uh, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to chapter five. That kind of set uh, the stage for what we do in the liturgy, and now the next three chapters are are going to deal with some of the specific portions of that liturgy. So. We start at the beginning with the opening of the service. It starts with the opening hymn, um, which is something that I think most of our listeners are pretty familiar with. Um, but the reasoning why we do an opening hymn, maybe not so much. And I found mm-hmm. that to be kind of interesting because maybe I like most uh, most of our listeners just assume well, we've always just done an opening hymn. Well, how else would you start a service, right? And um, he actually goes into the whole... Um, the whole reasoning and how it began and, and everything else there too. I thought it was uh, an interesting thing that intro it, um, how the service used to begin, and then kind of transitions that into the verse of the day, and now, um, now kind of has dropped out of of relevance because of the fact that now there's an opening hymn that used to be. The way that the hymn, or the, the way that the service, excuse me, was started, uh, was through that that special verse or that special song that would begin and introduce the theme uh, of of each service. Yeah, it's interesting that the the opening hymn is traced back to the the early Christian church, where um, he he lists and and credits Celestine the first, the bishop in Rome, decreed that the worship should begin with a psalm. And so that's how we began our with the opening hymn. I mean, right there, he said, "Well, we should start worship with a with an opening psalm." And as we, as as the early Christians, or not really Christians, I guess the Jewish people with the Book of Psalms, they would have sung them. So I, the early Christian church sang them. We sing them today, and, and that's how they would have entered in. And 
then like you mentioned, uh, Pastor Hackman, they got shortened to like the intro at the the entrance verses, and uh, and that also then morphed into, well, let's sing a hymn to to welcome in too. So that's kind of a just a historical reason for why we do an opening hymn, not just to like set the stage, but it had purpose and, and meaning behind it too. It's kind of interesting that introit then would have, of course, been in Latin. Um, so the author makes that the reference that at the time of the Reformation, um, as Luther is transitioning things to be into the language of the people, uh, the Bible, and also what happens uh, in the worship service, that this was one of the things that then sped on that transition. Instead of starting the service with the pastor speaking a language, singing a language, or the choir singing a language that these people don't understand what this actually is saying. Um, let's make it a hymn and let's do it in in the language that the people will understand one and can participate in. So starting to implement the principles that we've outlined already. Here's a question I think might be interesting to our readers. Um, Kevin, as, as, plan, as you plan out worship, you pick the hymns that we sing each Sunday. So yes. maybe describe for us how you decide and determine what our opening hymn should be. The opening hymn should be something that's easy to sing. Um, it should put people in a good place of mind to begin worship. It should awaken senses and be bright. It should. I always aim for four stanzas of about four lines each, a major key. It can be just sort of general praise hymn. It can be seasonal, but um, if it's just a general praise hymn that usually works good and gets people ready for the the meat that's coming later. That's awesome. As far as trying to fit the theme of the day, that's not something that you're as concerned about in the opening hymn? Yeah, I mean, if it does a little bit, that's good. But um, in general, if it's just a, from the opening of service section or the praise section, there's, you know, there's certain, sometimes you can tie it to the theme. There's a you know, one good stanza or one sentence sure. in there that really jumps out. But maybe in like the more obvious seasons like Christmas or Easter, those ty- types of seasons, you maybe find a more Christmassy opening hymn, a hymn of praise. Yeah, or, sure. I so Easter is kind of easy because I yeah. feel like almost every Easter hymn that you sing is a, a song of praise. Arise, you know? shine. He's, he's risen. <laughs> no, he's wake, alive, wake. right? So as we move into advent so i was i was just working on the service for the first sunday in advent and so we'll sing prepare the royal highway the king of kings is near and that so that's both seasonal and thematic and general and advent good for praise. opening right and good for opening and it's got a nice Get your heart's ready for worship for christ's return yeah all yeah. that stuff mm-hmm. cool. cool thanks for sharing that that's awesome that you put a, a lot of thought into that and so often it just shows up and it's good and um, mm-hmm. we're most of us are just happy that that's there and don't even really think about what does it take to pick a good element, a good hymn to be in this in this particular place. So thank you for your work for us. Um, he talks about uh, another option for opening uh, worship, which would be a procession. Um, here at Grace we call those cross processions and... Um, I enjoy the way that that marks out uh, the the services as special, the ones that where it's chosen that we're going to do the cross procession. That's kind of on your plate to to plan and schedule out and everything too. So maybe share with us a little bit about cross processions. Yeah, we we 
like to do a cross procession on the festivals of the church here. Um, and, and a couple other occasions. So Christmas, Easter, uh, Pentecost, Transfiguration. Um, we'll do one on our Lessons and Carols service, which um, follows a, a historic and high like Anglican tradition of, of doing the cross procession. But um, he made a good point in the book, our author did, um, about just the, it's, it's, it's sort of formal. It's the, the pastor and um, maybe a Bible, candles, banners for the season. They're all kind of coming in, representing these symbols, representing our faith. Um, and they're, they're all coming in to the altar. It's, it's this, it, it's just this cool thing to watch that it really marks the beginning. Like we're going, like they are coming into God's house as we have come into God's house. And what we're here to do is praise him. So, yeah, I like the symbolism of the focus on Christ. Mm-hmm. So everyone stands and looks at the back of church, which is already different and unique. That's not mm-hmm. what normally happens, but when it's, when it's the cross that's at the back and we're going to draw our attention, um, symbolically as we turn as the cross processes up to the front um but then also representative of the way we live our lives that we seek to always have our, our faces turned towards jesus um, i like that that symbolism that, that that vivid imagery um and then the beginning of the service then in the name of the father son and holy spirit you've got this mm-hmm. um this vivid acting out of of what we know and understand to be a part of of worship all the time. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, at the different cross processions that I've been in uh, here at Grace. And it's, it's so cool because you, you walk through and everyone has this focus on, on the cross and, and processing in it's this unique thing. And I just love the looks on like the kids faces and, and they're just so in, they're just so into it. Right. It's just, it's different. It's unique. And, and here's the symbol of, of the, of Christ coming right in front of me. And that's just such a cool thing. And, and two, as everyone kind of turns towards the cross and follows it both uh, in and then out at the end, it reminds me of the the last thing that he, the author mentioned in this section was this the fact that the opening hymn unites us. And I don't think you get a better understanding of that than like a cross processional when everyone's like singing towards each other in, in a lot of cool ways. And you just have all these voices kind of all centered in at the cross. And that's just such a cool thing. I love, I love that aspect of it. And um, like when we, at the end, when we process out, the cross usually hangs out at the back of church until the hymn is over. And so everyone's kind of everyone in the balconies looking down and everyone in the, in the pews are looking out and it's just this cool, you know, how you can't help, but just feel we're all together in this. And, and that's one of the points too, of that opening hymn and man, the cross procession really allows you to to feel that. And that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. Mm -hmm. We could do it anytime we wanted. It's that we do it for special occasions, but it doesn't have, it wouldn't have to be. Um, I don't know if any churches, Wells churches, do it every Sunday anymore. But if I, you I, know of a Wells church, we were trying to think about this earlier. If yeah. you know of a Wells church that does a cross processional besides us here at Grace, um, send us a, a note. Yeah, leave a comment. Then we'd know that you're listening from a different <laughs> church, which would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, might be cool to uh, compare notes and just see yep. how those things. Mm-hmm. Um, Next then is the invocation. Uh, it's the beginning of the service, uh, usually Trinitarian, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, after the opening hymn, that is is uh, 
the way that the service begins, um, a reminder of baptism, um, which is always a good thing. You know, the baptismal font is there even when it's not being used today, even when there's not a baptism to start out the service. Um, just that it's there to remi- to remind God's people that we are, are are gathered here as redeemed and baptized children of God. Uh, and so we, the service begins and with that baptismal Trinitarian formula as well. Yeah, and, and a lot of times when, um, as pastors, we have that Trinitarian form, formula in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we often make the cross, the sign of the cross. And uh, I think that's a really cool thing that that if you understand what it is, makes it even more powerful. And it's, it's like you mentioned, just that invocation, the words itself remind us of, of our baptism and baptizing in the name of our triune God. But also the fact that at baptism too, we have the sign of the cross marked on our head and our heart to mark us as redeemed children of God. And I know that the new hymnal has changed that and I don't know what the new words are, but I like to mark you as a redeemed child of God. But just that cool picture, every time that, that we see the cross, the pastor make the cross in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, is that beautiful reminder that not only am I a baptized child of God, but I'm a redeemed child of God and I'm his own. And, and that's a, a beautiful thing. It's by something, by Christ the crucified, right? Yeah, something like that. Something I along would, those lines. It's still the sign the of the cross on the head and on the heart. Right. They just have changed the words. And like any kind of change, as a Lutheran, I don't like it. No, <laughs> it's fine. It just it doesn't roll off my lips yet like it, the old one did. <laughs> I I, st- I did a baptism recently and stumbled over the fact that that comes after the baptism. Yeah. Normally, that the sign of the cross on the head and the heart came before, and, the, the and then you do the baptism, and then they kind of pull the child back. And so I did the baptism, and they pulled the child back, and then I had to reach in to do it. Um, it is, receive the sign of the cross on the head and heart to mark you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. Just adds the cross language into while you're making that symbol. Yeah, and so. to be reminded every time we start a worship service, I, I come in as a baptized child of God. That's cool. Yeah. I was just reading something or listening to something. I forget what it was, but it made a point, and... I'll, I'll pass the point along. I don't know that I'm ready to make it a matter of doctrine, but that it intentionally doesn't say we begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it just starts in the name of the Father. And the point that was being made is our whole lives are lived in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so there's no like break off to that or, or, or beginning of that now that we're here in worship, but rather it's a continuation of life in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So... I don't know. I thought that was an interesting observation that that's not the start of something new, but rather a continuation of of what has already been reality for the Christian. Confession and absolution comes next. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this, uh, this section because I can relate to uh, his comment that said, you may be surprised to learn that historically speaking, this rel- this is a relatively recent addition to the liturgy. I did not know that till I got here at Grace. I didn't know so. that either. Um, and I, I like that having added it, it gets put in at almost the very beginning. It's <laughs> like this, this is what we need more than anything else is Christ's forgiveness. And so we're going to put that in as soon as the hymn is over. Yeah, the focus on law and gospel. It, to me, it, it it makes sense when you put it in into a historical context that historically confession and absolution was done in a private setting between parishioner and pastor. 
And so it would be somewhat redundant then to start the service in that way. But as congregations grew um, and and the amount of time that a pastor was spending on private confession absolution then grew with it, um, it makes logical sense that when we've got everyone together in one place, we could do this corporately rather than individually. So to me, it speaks a little bit to um, not to say that we don't need to do or that it's it's a tradition that's that's run its course, private confession, absolution, but just understanding this concept that in the centuries ago, that was normal. And so then not, not needing to have it in the worship service was also normal. Now, potentially, as those have shifted or changed, maybe that speaks to the relevance or necessity of both of the customs, individual confession, absolution, versus having it in the worship service. Yeah, when you when they had the practice of individual um, confession, which we technically we still have it. Yep. If anyone wants to come and and spend some time with a, a pastor and, and confess their sins and have that personal um, absolution, we're happy to do it, and we we do that on occasion. Um, but in in historical sense, that was something that they did outside of church, and then so you'd be coming into worship already having confessed your sins and receiving that absolution, and so now that that's not such a common practice, like you mentioned we start our service and I think that's a, a great place to start to be reminded that as we enter into the presence of God, we're a bunch of broken people, sinful people don't deserve to be there. I always think of like the words of Isaiah, the prophet, as he starts out his, his, uh, his old Testament book of Isaiah and how he comes in, he's called by God to go out and be a prophet. And he says, who am I with unclean lips to stand before you? And the angel comes and touches his lips with the coal and says, you are forgiven. You're made holy. And, and for us to come in the presence of God and worship, Confessing our sins and then having that beautiful absolution of of that the pastor shares that is is the very words of Christ you are forgiven that's a beautiful thing and it makes the rest of worship a joyful thing and mm-hmm. and something I'm, I'm happy to be here because I know I'm entering into God's presence as a forgiven child of God. Well, you look at the service as proclamation, and so it it makes good sense. Start with law and gospel. It starts with the proclamation to God and to my fellow Christians who who I am, um, and we're all on that same page, that same page of being sinners who don't deserve any of this, and then to receive that corporate absolution um, from our Savior um, puts keeps us on that same page, but now we're redeemed children of God. Um, sets the tone then for the rest of the law and gospel, the rest of the proclamation of the goodness of God that happens Uh, throughout the service. He's got a couple of the the texts that are in the new hymnal, um, both the confession and the absolution as we go through this section. Um, Slightly different wording, but the same concepts there from from what you're familiar with, even if you're a uh, have got the the red hymnal or maybe maybe you're a a TLH generation. Different words, but same concepts there. With that being said, though, and, and we just talked about the beauty of confession and absolution, not every one of our services has confession and absolution included it, in it. Um, the last, fr- um, last Friday, last Sunday of the month, <laughs> when we have a fifth Sunday, um, you'll have to remind me what service order of service we use, but that does not include a confession and absolution piece. Um, and most of our you can correct me, Kevin, but I think most of our Advent midweek services do not have a confession absolution. Right. Um, so the 
the fifth Sunday service that you mentioned, we usually follow the historic order of um, matins or morning prayer from the daily office, which is in a chapter. Yeah, we're going to do that back a little bit later on. Right. Um, we'll and preview. Then, and then, Come back and listen. And then in <laughs> Teaser. <laughs> and then in Advent evening services, we follow an evening prayer service. Yeah. The one we do in, in Lent is different. Lent, that, I that believe in, we have that confession includes absolution. confession yeah. absolution. The, um, but these morning and evening prayer. It's either Vespers or Matins, right? Right. And if you were praying the whole daily office, at some point you would have the a confession and absolution during the course of the right. day. But, you know, when you just pick one or two of these, right. these services And then to use. Compline has it in there, right? That's the, mm-hmm. by my own fault, my own grievous fault, the responsive. Yes. That's the, the confession absolution. That's part of Compline, which, is that the one we use in Lent? Yeah. Or, yeah. Okay. So I guess the point of bringing that up is while confession and absolution is a beautiful thing uh, and, and we include it in worship m- most regularly, it doesn't have to be there. No, you, you, don't, you do not have to confess the sin of not having confession and absolution <laughs> in the Sunday service. <laughs> there you go. But, uh, yeah, I mean, law and gospel is still proclaimed. Uh, we still mm-hmm. can walk out on, a, on the fifth Sunday of the month knowing that I'm a sinner and yet I'm forgiven by God's grace in, in Christ. And mm-hmm. it, it shines in a lot of other ways too. So it, it actually, that service reflects historically the fact that confession absolution wasn't part of the early Christian church. So, and their mm-hmm. worship. Right. It's just interesting. It is. Then it moves on to the Lord have mercy. Uh, maybe we know that better by the Greek name Kyrie. Um, that is been a topic of conversation and actually if you're using the new hymnal liturgy you'll see that it's um, been given a new place and a new function within the the service or probably better more accurately it's been restored to its old function right versus if you're going to compare christian worship 93 to to the 21 version right it it had been come become common practice for for Lord have mercy for that section of the service to take on a penitential nature, almost like a response to the confession. And right. I think I think in the red hymnal it was. It's before you before you get forgiveness, you gotta sing Lord have mercy. Um, but it's been restored. It's been put in a different function now. It's um, it's just part of a prayer. Interesting to me that the prayer is named after. The, the the short response that the people say um but it's 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 lord have mercy is just one of the oldest um responses in the christian church so it's not we can and you can use it for any prayer response at any point in the service too i appreciated the history that was given and and luther's view that it had one time been uh nine responses and and that Luther thought maybe if we just did Kyrie eleison Christe eleison Kyrie eleison, move it down to three, um, and then we see that reflected in some of the alternative services where there's the the um, the sort of the different sung Kyries. The the, um, but the petitions are different. So right. What the pastor says and what we respond to is. But then the response is they're restored yeah. to maybe what Luther was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was interesting that some of those traditions continue on. Um, I wonder, so we've been test driving the, the new hymnal, mm-hmm. uh, we were chosen as one of the pilot congregations to, 
to introduce and, and offer feedback and everything. And so for us here at Grace, it's pretty common the way that, uh, that the Curie has been, um, but I wonder if this is going to be uh, a piece that needs to be that pe God's people need to be educated on. Here's why we're doing this differently. Here's why um, this liturgy is taking on this different form or this function. Um, maybe you can. Were you around when it began? Actually, you were involved in Professor Tiefel. Um, yeah, our our friend Jim Tiefel uh, made this decision with I think Pastor Hebner and whoever else needed to be here at the time um that we were we were going to do what the hymnal project was recommending and this was already five years ago um but just jump on board with you know I, and i don't know who was doing the research and made the suggestion in the first place but it was going to be in the new book this way and so let's start using it this way and there were there were some notes in the service folder about why we were making the change and what it was supposed to do and how did we get that, Kyrie, Kevin? Well, one of them I was asked to write, um, but then that one didn't make it in the book. It so didn't? It did not. Okay. No. We can still use it here, though. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> you wrote the one that we ended up using here for a while, right? Right, because there wasn't one that um, that worked um, with the service settings that we were using from the red book, and so... Professor Tiefel had asked me to write one that would work with both or all of the ones that we were sure. using. So, and you wrote the musical setting for the words that were that are common across the the different yes. liturgies. Yeah, right. The in in peace, let us pray to the yeah. Lord, Lord, and so on. Yeah. It was well that's, done. That's a cool I'm gift. Glad we still use it. Cool gift that we have here at Grace. To, we need something. Let's just ask Kevin to write it. <laughs> So it'll be cute. I'll be uh, interested to hear some of these congregations that are now rolling out the new hymnal for the first time, without the benefit of of years of of prep time. If this becomes something that is puzzling, or at least mm -hmm. needs to be explained to them, here's why that this curie looks different, and actually, it's bringing it back to the, its older and original function in the worship service. Then the Gloria, the glory to God, uh, in response to the absolution, in response to the forgiveness uh, that's been offered us, um, we join with the angels and sing their right. their song. That's really cool to me. Um, we we have God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit, written down by by people. But here we have a song that actually was, you know, I guess thought of in heaven first. Yeah. And cool? then and then we wrote it down based on what we heard the angels sing. That's neat. <laughs> yeah. The set the whole purpose too in the in the, the circumstances is is God fulfilled his promise in sending the savior. He's born, he's here, right? Mm -hmm. And and the heavens couldn't contain that joy. They they came down. They announced it to the shepherds. They sang this glorious song, and uh, you know, in the place of worship, after we've just we've confessed our sins, we walked in. We've we we're entering into God's presence. We've confessed our sins, heard His forgiveness, seek God's mercy for us in our lives, and now knowing that He He is faithful in all these things, how can we not you know mm -hmm. <laughs> just blurt out like the angels do and just the joy of singing that song. 
Yeah, the angels sing as mankind gets the first chance to see the salvation plan actually coming to fruition. Um, you, you couldn't help but it's like Simeon holding the holding the baby Jesus and sees my eyes have seen my salvation. That was mankind song. That was the angels joining us in singing that praise. Um, and now it makes sense that as we recall and recount what uh, what Jesus' life for us means. Um, that we could join the angels in singing that song. <clears throat> this is one of those that I think, when you have the discussion, should we should we maintain that liturgical format, or should we adopt maybe some of the trends or, or things that are popular in other segments of the Christian church? This is one of those songs that, for me, is just so rich with Scripture and so rich with grace, and that there's proclamation and there's forgiveness and there's there's such joy in this song that to lose it I, you're not going to write something to put in its place that preaches more Jesus that has more more joy than the Gloria set to whatever melodic tune you want but just to look at those words and to see Jesus and his love and and the fulfillment of promises and the everlasting life that is mine the the, the fact that there's a place in heaven for me now because Jesus left his place in heaven to come and live for me and die for me. Um, this is one of those songs that that strikes me personally as being so rich with scripture that um, I'm really glad that it's a part of our worship service and something that we get to do every single Sunday. And as beautiful as that was, though, we don't always use the Gloria in all of our worship services. I don't know, Kevin, could you maybe comment on when we do or don't use the, the Gloria in worship? We, we um. Well, if it's not one of those fifth Sundays of the month where right. it's a special order, um, during the season of Lent and the season of Advent, we do not sing glory to God in the highest. Um, the The reasoning for Lent is because it's because it is a penitential season, and and we're not not that we've forgotten Christ's forgiveness and 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 the eternal life that's ours but it's it, it's we we mute our joy the church mutes its joy when we think about sin and what that means for us and how it's corrupted us and so we we remember these words and we'll sing them again on easter sunday but through lent we um we don't um we also don't in the season of advent um that's just that's more of a an expectant season i don't right know that lutherans consider it a penitential season there's a little bit of that because yeah. it, part of the preparing for christ coming right. is that that humbleness of heart but i think too it's it's that expectation that we get to sing it that's good yeah you know, so on, on christmas day and christmas eve whatever right yeah lent is just that somber time of the year though though too and and you sense that in, in the worship um from the hymns that that we sing to the readings obviously as well and and the omitting of the Gloria is one of those things too that just reminds us. Oh yeah, we're not singing the Gloria today. We will again, but but today it's 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 this penitential time. It's time for me to reflect on my sin and the battle that Christ went into for for my mm -hmm. sin. That ties into the, a tradition that uh, many churches follow, which is on Transfiguration Sunday singing farewell to Alleluia. That for the season of Lent, uh, that particular word of praise is is going to be omitted as a, for the same reasons we we're just talking about. Um, so I think those traditions end up 
overlapping or, or tying into each other, um, that this muted joy uh, is something that just keeps the longing for Easter and the expectation for for what is coming. With that, though, there's always just this this funny thing that happens here at Grace is we we sing the goodbye, the farewell to Alleluia at the end of the service on Transfiguration. We walk the banner out, and then right after the 745 service, the Alleluia banner goes right back into church. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Alleluia that we just said goodbye to okay. is now back in church. <laughs> the 9 o'clock worshipers haven't had their chance to say goodbye. we got to let so everybody gotta... have the, the chance to say farewell. But it's just, it just it's... always struck me as hilarious mm-hmm. that we just said you know, this nice elaborate farewell to Alleluia, and five minutes later, Alleluia is back in the sanctuary. <laughs> and it's it was, with much less ceremony that the banner gets right, right. taken back <laughs> to the front. But it's just it's it's just the uniqueness of having multiple services, obviously. But it's just is one of those mm-hmm. those funny moments. I always thought it was a Midwestern goodbye that has to take place four times. <laughs> there you in, go. In different places, is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. All right, so we've had a chance to talk about. Uh, why we do what we do at the beginning of the service and uh, how it, it proclaims Christ, how, how it focuses us on um, our standing before God and our renewed standing through grace and through Christ's forgiveness and then how we can respond in, in singing his praises, praises for the forgiveness that's been won for us, praises uh, for the fact that, that heaven is our eternal home because of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, the glory is a good thing to say. Uh, it's also good to say this, this is, is most, most certainly, certainly true. Thanks for listening. We'd love to share more about God's love with you. Check us out at www.gracedowntown.org. There you'll find worship times, our pastor's contact info, and a lot about our ministry in and to downtown Milwaukee. We hope to connect you to the grace of God again soon. 